Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Please turn in your uh, Bibles to Second uh, Peter. Second Peter chapter one, and we'll start at verse one. And let me say again how good uh, it is to be with you this morning. It really is such a pleasure. Uh, if I've not had a chance to speak with you yet, uh, I really look forward to doing that today, this evening, uh, or next Sunday as well. Uh, it's wonderful. Uh, it really is wonderful to be here. Second Peter chapter one and. Maybe what is a little bit different from what we normally do, I guess we would normally have a morning series and a Sunday evening series, but over these next two Sundays, we're going to look at this letter in its uh, entirety. So we'll look at the first part of Second Peter this morning, we'll do some more this evening and, and work through it. So please do, as you're able, please do return this evening, uh, and I hope then that this Lord's Day and next we'll get a wonderful shape uh, of this, uh, this whole letter. But for this morning, Second Peter chapter 1. And we're going to read, uh, we're going to read through um, verse, uh, verse 1 uh, through to verse, uh, verse 15. So Second Peter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us uh, to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Amen. 
And as we turn to God's words, uh, let me pray and ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. It is a simple prayer that we bring, Heavenly Father, but yet it is also the most profound prayer that we bring in our hearts because this morning we very much need you. We are here to hear you speak our great living triune God. And we ask this morning, O Heavenly Father, be gracious to us that we could say we heard the voice of our risen, reigning, and soon-to-be-returning King. We long to hear him speak, we pray, and we ask it in his name. Amen. There are certain days that come to pass where the events of that day are so significant that the whole world or most of the world gets caught up in them. There are days that that the events of that day are so significant that the world or, or most of the world gets caught up in them, like dropping a huge rock into a paddling pool and you see, or into a pond and you see the ripples go out. There are events that happen like that. 11th of March, 2020, COVID-19 declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. Within minutes, days, weeks, months, to the very edges of the earth, we felt the effects, didn't we? September the 11th, 2001, terrorists fly planes into the Twin Towers in New York, a plane into the Pentagon. The Western world, the Middle East, felt the impact uh, of that to come for, for decades. May 8th, 1945, VE Day in Europe, the Allies win the war there. Now, of course, there are many other such days like that, but some dates carry such significance, for good or bad, that they are written in bold ink into the pages of human history, into the story of the earth. And there's such a day of, of that scale still to come. Indeed, it's of greater scale. Indeed, it's of greater significance. And that's not to downplay the events of those days. No, it's to magnify the awesomeness, the splendor, the glory, the sheer weightiness of this day, of this future day. And that future day is the coming day of the Lord Jesus, the day that Christ comes back. This Lord's Day morning and evening and next Sunday too, that is all we're going to look at. It is all we're going to speak about, just one day, just one event. And the reason that we're going to do that is because we're in this book of Second Peter. And that is one of the main themes of this book. It's one of the main things that, that Peter wants to write to teach these churches is that Jesus is coming back. And he writes to these Christians saying, because we know that that day is there, here's what it means for us now. Here's the implications that are going to flow out from knowing that Christ returns but one of the main reasons he has to write to talk about that day is because he's surrounded by people. There's people teaching these churches here that Jesus isn't coming back. 
They're denying the return of the king, if you like. If you have your Bibles, just turn over to chapter 3. We see this really laid out for us very clearly there. Chapter 3, verse 1, and I'll just read a few verses from there. Peter writes, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, and here it is, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Did you see it? There's mockers, there's scoffers, there's people coming inside the church. And they're saying people have been born and people have died. They did it yesterday, they're doing it today, and they'll do it tomorrow. Christ isn't coming back. That's what they're saying. People went about their business. They're going about their business yesterday, today. Look, where is Jesus? Where is he? So in other words, all we're going to do, if you like, for these four services, these two Sundays, is sit with our eschatological diaries out. To sit with our end times diaries. We're going to pull out our iCal or Google calendars, or maybe some of us still use the file of facts. Well, we're going to get our eternal ones out, if you like. We're going to look at our diaries. For although we do not know when Christ will return, we cannot put a date on it. The fact, the truth, the reality of his return is more certain than anything that's in your calendar uh, this morning. So this morning, all we're going to do as we walk through this and get to know this letter a little bit, we're going to do one, two, three. We're just going to count to three this morning. And we've already done one, so you can be encouraged by that. I've come all the way from America, so you know, it's got to be a little bit longer, right? Um, We've done one. What is the main theme? He wants to teach them Jesus is coming. That's the main theme. That's all we're going to do is we're going to look at that one day and and how Peter teaches them all about what, what that means. So that's one. Okay, we now move on to two. There, there are two things going on in the life of this, uh, of this church that we need to know in order to get under the skin of this book. Kind of two uh, parts of the context that are going to help, uh, help us understand. And we need that, don't they? I, I was in Heathrow yesterday. It was very, very busy. But as soon as you kind of understand the context, they're super understaffed. There's the jubilee going on. You're like, okay, I, we can all be a little more patient here. We can kind of cope. But, but the context helps. Ah, this is why it's like that. And we need to know two things about that for this letter of Second Peter. So, what are those two things? One, not only is there false teaching going on about Christ's return, it's leading to other false teaching. In this book, Peter has to go out his way to address false teaching. Now, as I say, we've already seen it. They're saying that Jesus isn't coming, but that's leading to other false teaching and false living. There's people in teaching the churches here that are saying bad stuff and they're doing bad stuff, sinful stuff, living sinful lives. Again, just look at chapter 2. It's going to be helpful to have uh, your paper copies here. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1. What does Peter say in chapter 2, verse 1? But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
and many will follow in their sensuality because of the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation is from long ago. It is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Did you see it there right at the start? There's false prophets. As there was false prophets in the Old Testament, so there will be false prophets among you. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. To use other Bible language, he's saying there's wolves among the sheep. There is wolves among the sheep. And they disguise themselves, don't they, by looking like sheep, by sounding like sheep. If any of you have let, uh, read the last, uh, the last battle, the last of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you know at the very start of that puzzle, uh, the donkey and Swift the ape, they find a lion skin. And what does the ape say? He puts it on the donkey and he says, dress up like Aslan. And most of that book plays out with, uh, or at least the first half of it, with them tricking everyone, tricking the Narnians. And from a distance and, and at night, he, he kind of looks like a lion and he kind of sounds like a lion. But they lead the Narnians into all kinds of destructive heresies and false tales of Aslan. Well, that is what's happening here. There's wolves among the sheep. And they're dressed up like sheep. They sound like sheep. They're using gospel words, maybe dog collars and clerical robes, and they're leading people astray. Now, denying the return of Christ is the main one, but like pulling out the Jenga block, you know when you play Jenga? People still play Jenga? We like, we like playing Jenga. You pull out one block and the rest of the tower falls, or maybe the domino, you push that domino and the rest fall down. Well, this heresy led to, uh, led to many others. In chapter 3, we just saw there, they say the king isn't coming. And because the king isn't coming, they deny that there's judgment. That's the second one. Chapter 2 is all about that. They deny that there's any judgment when you die. Then, we're gonna, tonight, we're going to look at the fact that they say, well, look, it's all just made up. That's the, that's the third thing. They're saying, look, this is just made up. We know Jesus isn't coming because the Bible's just made up. It was a kind of once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away kind of a story. And the last thing they say then is because of all those things we can live as we please. I can live as I like because the Bible's made up, there's no judgment and Jesus isn't coming back. Have you heard any of those things before? I, I, I mean, how much is this book a book for today? Those things are being doubted and questioned and asked by people all, all around us in this world. Perhaps even some of us this morning have questions like that. And Peter writes to counter it all. He said, no, Jesus is coming. When he comes, there will be judgment. We know because we can trust the Bible. And because that dates in our diary, it changes how we live today. And so each one of our services, we're just going to answer one of those questions. How do we prepare for that day? How does it affect that day, affect today? Tonight, we're going to think, can we be sure? Can we know that Christ is coming? Next Sunday, we'll look at judgment and what uh, we're waiting for. So we'll answer each uh, one of those things. That's what Peter is setting out here. To, to try and illustrate it, imagine tenants renting a house. Now, I need to put a disclosure here. We have tenants in a house here. I think some of them have or might come to the church. If, if there's tenants for our house here, this is, uh, this is not a go at you guys, right? So just, or if you know our tenants in our house, or it's just not related to them, okay? But imagine tenants are in a house, okay? And I know some of you here have flats and things that you, that you rent out. How they live, how they treat that house will depend so much on what they think about 
the landlord. Is the landlord someone I can trust? Is he going to come back and inspect the house? Is he going to see how we've looked after it? They've emailed me to say they're coming, but, but do I believe those words? You see, if you don't think the landlord is coming, over time you're likely to treat the house kind of worse and worse if you don't have respect or love or, or, or look well upon the landlord. I can't trust his words. But if you respect the landlord, you think you can trust him, you will be ready for the day that he or she might come and inspect. And so Peter writes, if you like, to use this kind of language, to borrow from the illustration, he said, look, the landlord is coming. He really is coming. There will be a return of the king. And you need to be ready for it. This is a longer point here, but it's worth driving home. With all these different voices going on, these Christians then are feeling the heat of it. These are Christians who are going well. Peter's not having... He's only got good things to say about the Christians, but he's got very strong things to say about the false teachers. But it's destabilizing. It's, it's hard for these Christians. And so look to the very end of the letter with me in 3.17. 3.17. This, this wraps up Peter's kind of aim for them right at the end. What does he want to do? He says, you therefore, beloved. You see, beloved, he loves these people. Knowing this beforehand, take care you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Don't be carried away. Don't go down that road. Don't be called off the pilgrim's highway. But verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying, don't go that way. Don't listen to them. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I want you to know God. I want you to grow in knowing God. And part of that is knowing that Jesus is coming back. And so let me ask you this morning, do you know God? Do you know God? Not just know about, but implies relationship, fellowship, covenant. It's the knowing of husband and wife or parent and child, of of best friends. It's the kind of knowing that says, "I, I know what you're thinking before you even kind of say it. That kind of knowing. Do you know God? If not this morning. If you're here this morning and you think, I don't know God, then let me encourage you. This is going to be a great letter for you because Peter is going to lay the groundwork of some of the basic building blocks, some of the foundational truths of our faith that we can trust the Bible, that Jesus is coming, that we're to live holy lives before God and he will call you to come and know this God. God can be known. God can be known. He is to be known. Indeed, it is the end and purpose of man to know God. As F1 cars are made for, uh, for Monaco, as Aberdeen is made for seagulls, as Americans are made for... Okay, I should stop. <laughs> Humanity is made to know God, to commune with him, to walk in the garden again with him. We were made to know God. And Second Peter is an appeal to those of us who don't know God to say, come and know God. Come and know the one who's going to return to make all things new. But if you already know God, then this is going to be a great book for you too. Are you weary on the road? Tired of the journey? Well, this book, I trust, will offer you encouragement along the way, reminding you that eternity is on our horizon. It was great on Thursday. I was able to, uh, to zoom into the prayer meeting for those of you who are able to join. And it's a really wonderful thing to be able to 
sit in Charlotte, North America on Thursday and join your prayer meeting and then be here with you in person on Sunday morning. And what did David speak about in his little devotion from Ecclesiastes? Pray with eternity in mind. Pray with eternity in view. That's what Peter wants to remind us. Remind us eternity is on the horizon. Christ is coming and he will make all things new. Are you lost this morning? Do you know in your heart you've started to walk down a path to doubt uh, the Lord Jesus? Doubting him, doubting his return, doubting his word, doubting that we need to trust and obey him. Well, this book is for you. You'll be reminded again. You're going to see this all over this book. Peter is just reminding these Christians, remember Christ, remember what he's done. This book will call you back again onto the pilgrim's highway, onto the pilgrim's road. Keep trusting and following Jesus. Is someone in your family, a friend, lost and not following Jesus? Is there someone who once sat amongst us, who now no longer is, who's lost, who's wandered away? Well, this book will be an encouragement for you. Next week especially, next Sunday evening, we're going to think about the patience of God. Why has Christ not returned yet? And hope of this day of salvation, remembering that we're in a day of grace and salvation, will be a real encouragement to us as we see Christ's heart for wanting to bring lost sheep back into the fold. So it'll be a real wonderful reminder of the grace of God as well. So we said one, two, three, Jesus is coming. There's two things. One, there's lots of false teaching that needs addressed, and we're going to catch the mood of that as we go, because Peter goes after these false teachers. The second thing, very briefly, is that Peter is going to die. We just read that in our reading at the start, chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. You can see it there. I won't read it again, but Peter says, I'm going to cast off the body. I'm, I'm going to die soon. Verse 14, at the putting off of my body, as Jesus told me. Verse 15, I, you need to remember these things so that after my departure, you can remind them. Do you remember at the end of John's gospel, after Peter's restored, Jesus tells him how he's going to die. And so Peter's soon to die, so he writes to remind these Christians. And, and that's important because Peter writes from Rome at 65 or 66 AD. Nero is the emperor. Uh, the emperor. He's on the throne, the great fire of Rome. He's a few years uh, in the past now, and there's mass persecutions of Christians in Rome. Mass persecution of, uh, of Christians. They're being lighted, uh, used as, as human torches to light uh, Nero's palace. Christians are being hunted down and killed. And so it is massively destabilizing for these Christians, not only the persecution, but the apostles, those who saw Christ, are being martyred, killed, taken from us. You can see how these Christians, Peter writes, who would feel vulnerable have we got it right the message from jesus what's been passed on or have we missed something as these false teachers now come to teach us and so he writes if you like a bit of a last will and testament here's what you really need to know he's near the end of his race and he's calling to those further back down the marathon if you like he's saying yes this is the right way keep coming. You, you sometimes see those tragic races, don't you, where someone's done really well with a marathon, but they, on a race and they're like 100 meters from the end and they kind of take the wrong turn and off they go. And you know, He's saying, no, don't do that. This is the road. This is the highway. Keep on going. Keep on going. These are the fundamentals to the faith. 
The, the return of Christ is fundamental confession of our faith. I, I hope uh, we can be re- reminded of that and know that. Think of the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, all these creedal statements. What are they saying? Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. Christ will return. He's raised, he's ascended, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will return. And we live in that space, awaiting that return. And Peter's saying, keep going, keep going. Christ is coming. One, two, three. Jesus is coming. Those are our two contextual clues that we need to know that we're, uh, is going on here. And then three. Here's our three things. Three ways we prepare for that day. Knowing that Christ is returning, how does that day uh, affect this day? The, the reformer Martin Luther is famous for saying there's only really two days in view ever. Today and that day. And knowing that day is coming, how does that affect how we live today? How do we prepare. Much of Jesus' teaching in the gospel speaks about this. I would encourage you this afternoon to read Matthew 25, particularly the parable of the ten virgins. Go and read it. There's a bridegroom coming, and there's ten virgins coming to get married. Five take oil in their lamps. Five don't. They fall asleep. The bridegroom is delayed, and when he comes, the five who were ready with oil in their lamps, they go into the wedding banquet, but the five without oil don't they don't they get left behind all diary events need planning you've got things in your diary this week don't you coming up and they all need planned for and this day more than any other day needs preparation needs planning jesus is coming how do we prepare three things briefly from our passage first we we receive grace that's our first thing we receive grace how do we prepare we receive look at uh, chapter one verse one there to those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Then just cast your eyes to verse 3. Look what Jesus has done. By his bound power, he's granted to us. Okay, verse 4, he's granted to us. He's given us what we need. So we receive something. We receive grace. Following Jesus in the first instance is not about what we do. Preparing for Jesus' return is, first instance, not about what we do. It's about what we receive. It's not about what we do, but about what Christ has done. We prepare by the righteousness of Christ and our God and Savior. Peter then gives them, before a call to action, it's a call to believe, to receive Christ. That's what they need to do. They are Christians and they they stand in there. So if I can put it kind of provocatively, the first thing Peter says, you prepare for Christ's coming by doing nothing. By doing nothing. You receive what Jesus has done as your Savior. You you trust him and you trust in all that he has done. Do you see some of the the language there in verse 4? It can feel a little tricky. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped for the corruption that's in the world. These Christians uh, hear that that language is tricky, but it's not saying they're somehow divine. It's not saying that at all. It's just saying they're now in Christ and no longer in Adam. They've escaped the corruption of the sinful nature, and they are now in Christ. They bear a new name, and they get that name, verse 1, by Christ's righteousness being given to them. Remember, Christ does not just take your sins when he died on the cross. His saving work isn't just to take your sins, but it's to give you his righteousness. He's clothed you in it. 
He is your Lord and Savior. Peter, all the time here, look at the language of how he describes Jesus throughout this book. He is your Savior, your Savior, your Savior, your Savior. And so the first way we prepare is finding ourselves hidden in Christ, which is all a work of Christ. So much of the Christian life, friends, is actively remembering who we are and what Christ has done for us. Last year, uh, along with Joshua, I read uh, a series of books called The Wing Feather Saga by uh, an American uh, singer and and, and author, I guess, uh, Andrew Peterson. And one of the children in the book is called Calmer uh, Wingfeather. Now, there's a tiny bit of a spoiler alert here. I'm sorry, but it's just going to be done. This child is called Calmer Wingfeather, and he's having a tough time, okay? We can't really do the backstory here, but he's at school, and he's having a really tough time. And, and as he's heading off to school in the morning, when he's having these really tough days, and I'm, I'm sure mums here have done similar things to what this mum does in this story. She, she takes him before he goes into school and she says, son, remember who you are. Remember who you are. You're Calmer Wingfeather, son of Esben Wingfeather, high king of Anaria. The, the dying apostle here says, remember who you are. Remember who you are and the faith you've received in Christ. How precious do you think that was for Peter to recall that? What did Peter do? Denied Christ at the end. Three times he denies Jesus right at the end. Peter who denied Jesus. Peter who abandoned Jesus. How many times do you think Peter had to recall the grace he'd received, the new life he'd received? I would think every day Peter's recalling the new life he's received in Christ. And we are no different. We are no different. This is who I am because of what Christ has done. And do you see in verse 1, let me comment on one more thing here. Do you see that the faith they've received is of equal standing of ours? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, that is the apostles. That is the apostles. Brothers and sisters, do you know your faith this morning is equal standing with the Apostle Peter, with the Apostle John, with Paul, of every other believer? Do you know there are no second-class Christians? When we think to our past, when we think our sins, how we've wandered, there are no second-class Christians. Do you see our confession of sin, or as Will gives us, our assurance of pardon? He, he doesn't stand and say, right, well, here's an assurance for pardon for those who've only sinned a little, and here's an assurance of pardon for those who... Re-. No, there are no second-class Christians. And I hope that's of a wonderful encouragement to you this morning. Yesterday, when I was, or Friday, when I got on the plane to fly here, I think they must do this deliberately, maybe, But on the plane that I got on, an American Airlines plane from Charlotte, they make you walk through the first class to get to your seat. So you're kind of like, it was late, the plane had been delayed, you're tired, and you you step on board, and there's these lovely kind of beds, and they screen, and the drinks are waiting. You know, it's just like, wow. And you sort of, oh, what's your number, sir? Okay, yeah, just keep going. So you, you go through, and then you get to the next bit, and there's this other little bit that's like premium economy. So it's not like, a seat, but I think they block, it's not like a bed, but you kind of block someone in the middle, so you can just at least stretch out a little bit, and there's someone else waiting there, and they look at your boarding pass, and they're like, yeah, no, you don't keep going. So then you kind of keep going down, and then you realize that you're kind of, kind of wedged in, kind of wedged in like this. I mean, I, I think those seats were not designed for, for that many people, but that is not how the Christian faith works. 
There's no first class, second, third, and a faith of equal standing. Friends, let that encourage you this morning. Let that encourage you. There is one faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism that we're brought into. And may that encourage us as we follow uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. These Christians needed to know that. They needed to know that. And so we can be encouraged too. So what's the first thing we do to prepare? We receive Jesus. The work of salvation is done for us in Christ. And we, uh, we rejoice in all that he has done. Remember who you are. We receive grace. So the, we, the firstly, we receive. Second thing we do then is having received, we pursue holiness. Again, just cast your eyes down your eyes down to to 2 Peter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, because of what you've received, because you're in Christ now, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Make every effort. Look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent. Be diligent. Make every effort. Be diligent. Work. Having received something, we now pursue something. We pursue holiness. We receive grace. And second, we pursue holiness. Because Christ is coming, we pursue holy lives. I won't take time to read it, but if you look at chapter 3, 11 to 14, he makes the same point. Chapter 3, 11 to 14, you can look at it later. He makes the same point. Because Christ is coming, we live holy lives. And this language is all over the Bible. Hebrews 12:14 it says that without holiness we will not see the Lord. Think of Jesus on the sermon of, on the mount. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. We receive grace but that leads to a pursuing of holiness. And friends the order is everything. The order is everything. It's gospel logic here we receive to produce its gospel indicative before gospel imperative. It's what Christ has done that produces good work in us by his spirit. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And we must never get it the wrong way around. We must never get it the wrong way around. Over these past few years in Charlotte, in the Bible Belt, and in and around North South Carolina, I've met plenty of people in a very Christian kind of atmosphere, as there still is there, who once you're going to get speaking to them, you see that they have this the wrong way round. They have this the wrong way round. They think they'll get to see Christ in glory. And when Christ says, why should I let you in? They think they will produce a long list. Look what I didn't do. Look what I did. When friends, the answer to that question, when we see, when we see Jesus in glory, why should I let you in? We're going to turn and point and say, it's all because of you. It's all because of you, Lord Jesus. We very quickly get to him and say, you, your blood, your body shed, broken for me. But it is worth checking our own hearts this morning. Do we have the order the right way around? Justification that produces sanctification. If we have it the wrong way around, though, and think it is our works righteousness that will get us into glory, now is the time to get it right, to receive Christ. And it is being planted. Think of the tree in Psalm 1, that big tree planted by streams. It is the tree that's planted in Christ that produces fruit. So we must get that order right. If we're in Christ and have new life, then we will produce fruit, we'll grow. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Christianity is a faith that sweats, that sweats. The Spirit produces fruit in us because it causes us to battle sin 
And with the Spirit, we can kill sin and be clothed in righteousness and pursue self-control and steadfastness and godliness and all that's here. We do often associate the Christian life with hard work, don't we? There's busyness, there's meetings, there are events, there's setup. we've got to put out tea and coffee, we've got to do all that stuff. But the hard work that Peter puts here before us is the hard work of killing sin. So friends, can I put it this way this morning? Is your Christian faith sweating? Is it, is it sweating? Is it working hard? Are we looking to build muscle? If I can put it that way. We're all keen to work and keep healthy with our physical bodies. But what about our spiritual bodies? What about our souls? Is our faith sweating? Are we pursuing these things? Are we diligently going after what it's like to be following Jesus? And he gives us a warning if we're not. Verse 9, look at verse 9. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted he's blind, having forgotten he was cleansed from sins. If we are not pursuing holiness, it, it shows we really don't understand who Christ is and what he's done for us. If we're not pursuing holiness, it means we don't understand that Christ has washed us clean. It would be like me these next few days trying to use my North Carolina driver's license, using my US dollars, and driving on the right-hand side of the road, although this morning that did almost happen. But it would be like me trying to do that for these next few days, walking around the streets of Aberdeen, up and down King Street, saying the Pledge of Allegiance. You would say, no, Ben, <laughs> you're in Scotland now. You're not, you're not in America. You've got to start living like it. You're, you're not there, you're here. And what he's saying to these Christians is holiness is like that. You're not in the flesh anymore. You're in Christ, and that means living this way. You're in Christ now. So friends, let me remind you, there is no standing still in the Christian life. There, there is no standing still. There's two directions. We're pursuing Christ and holiness, or, or sin will be slipping in. We're going after Christ or going away from him. Our, our affections are filled with the glory of the gospel and latched onto Christ or they are turned towards the world. Now, friends, the road is bumpy. Of all pe- people, Peter knows that. Look how the last few days of Jesus' life were there for him. The road is bumpy. We stumble, we fall. But... it's the direction that's important am i pursuing following jesus but there is danger if there's no wrestling if there's no wrestling no effort no diligence no longing to be like christ we have to ask ourselves why why do i not want to be like my savior let me put it one more way before moving to our last point holiness is being fitted for heaven it's being readied for our eternal home do you know the, um, the, the Christmas song, Away in a Manger? One of the most striking things about being in America is they sing some songs to different tunes, but not just like some average, like your Christmas songs, that like, you're like, this is so fixed, it's like immutable, and you stand up and you're ready to sing out, and one of them is Away in a Manger. You sing it to a different tune, and you're like, oh, oh no, hang on. It really takes you by shock. Away in a Manger, you know the song? What did, what's one of the lines there? Right at the end, I think it's in the third verse. Fit me for heaven to be with you there that is part of that hymn that long isn't that is holiness fit me for heaven i want to be like jesus because i'm going to spend eternity looking at him face to face being with him and his people and that's how we get ready for that day for his return and our seeing for him 
receiving his grace and pursuing holiness, looking to home and saying, I want to be ready for that. I'm going to strive after holiness that I look like Jesus and enjoy Jesus and show Jesus to the world. I will want to be holy because Christ is holy. Is your faith sweating? That's uh, number two. So let's go to number three. We receive grace and salvation. We pursue holiness. And lastly, then we're assured that Christ will lead us home. We're assured Christ will lead us home. That's verses sort of the end of 10b and 11. Receive Christ, walk in his ways, and you will make it home. Verse 11, for in this way there will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. Not in our own strength, but because of Christ's spirit and because of his promises and all that he's given us, verses 3 and 4, we will make it home. Christ has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And if we've received him and walk in his ways, then we can look forward to entrance to the eternal kingdom. The the image here that he has at the end is that of a a crown that awaits the marathon runner as they cross the line. The, The medal that's placed around the neck of a soccer player as they win the World Cup or football player football player a medal that's placed around the neck of a football player as they win the world cup i'm really sorry we can't say soccer here Uh, as they put a medal around the neck of a a sports player an athlete as they win uh, a tournament pursuing christ receiving his grace then awaits before us uh, heaven the hope of heaven perhaps the old hymn trust and obey will help us with what, what he's saying right at the end do you, remember, uh, do you remember that old hymn? It pulls all the threads together. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And that's his point at the end. Trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus, and we will be happy in him. Heaven will be before our eyes, and we will know that we will be provided an, an entrance in uh, to glory. So friends, if you're weary this morning, if you're tired, feeling battered and bruised this morning by life, then let Peter hold this great hope of heaven before your eyes. Jesus provides for you an an entrance into his eternal home if we're clothed in his righteousness. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's at the finish line ready to crown you. So keep trusting him. Put Christ, put heaven before your eyes, remembering all that he's done. Keep going after him. There are certain days where the events of that day are so significant the whole world or most of the world gets caught up in them. And Christ's return, the great consummation, is the last great movement of the great symphony of our salvation. And it will sound louder than them all. And so friends, let me leave you with this. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Am I prepared? Are we growing in knowledge of God, of the one with whom we'll spend eternity? For that will not only make eternity sweeter, dear friends, it will make today sweeter as well. This morning here, Peter holds out, he holds out an invitation to get ready for Jesus' return, get ready to see him. But it really is an invitation to come and know Jesus, to come and know our Savior. And so Jesus holds himself out to you this morning and says, come to me, follow me, know me, You're going to see me face to face one day. And so come to me today and live. Amen.